Welcome to another episode of Mind Tuning. I'm Martina. And I am Will. And today we're going to talk about the song You I Don't Know from Alanis Morissette, uh, which came out on the album Jagged Little Pill in 1995. I suppose I was first aware of this song because it was a radio hit it was everywhere and then i looked a little bit further into the lyrics and you get this sense of someone who says that they want nothing but the best for this person but i can't help but think and i suspect the average listener would also suspect that when we listen to this we doubt the sincerity of that message it seems to be a little bit sarcastic or bitter or as though alanis was in her basement sticking pins into a voodoo doll kind of situation what do you think martina Uh, no, absolutely. I think there's little doubt in anyone's mind that this one sentence is very sarcastic. In fact, the entire song is very <laughs> aggressive and angry, and she doesn't hide the fact that she was hurt, that she's bitter, that she's she she's resentful. And yeah, that's the thing about this song. I think from the start, from the get-go, you know exactly where this is going. And unlike other songs maybe that we've explored, I can't see this song changing in meaning if you change the music or if it was covered even acoustically with a very mellow melody. There is no ambiguity in the message, I think. I want you to know that I'm happy for you. I wish nothing but the best for you both. I know the It's such a, a tortured exercise to analyze this song because we saw the documentary about Alanis a year ago and we learned that a lot of the poetics around this song are concerned with something that she was dissatisfied with regarding a relationship that she had had with someone when she was underage, right? And so there's elements of sexual abuse here. And so we can speak about this in terms of the mental effect of a dissatisfied relationship, but there's something actually more going on here, which is about abuse. But I, I wonder if she regarded that as sexual abuse already when she wrote the song. A lot of times when a young woman or a young man is in a relationship with an older person and there is that power imbalance, there is 
uh, uh, what is later on considered as sexual abuse, but at the time, the victim of the sexual abuse may not consider it sexual abuse, may not be aware uh, of how inappropriate this relationship is. Right. And so I wonder if when she wrote that song, uh, she still regarded that relationship as a normal relationship from which she had hoped something would grow. Right. So it, it, there is a lyric not long after the introduction where she says, "Cause the love that you gave me that we made wasn't able to make it enough for you. To be open wide. To be open wide, right. So the subject there in the song isn't the love, as she suggests, but rather it's her. And the suggestion is that she was not enough. You're right. What you said is is what she realized then and when she wrote the song is that what wasn't enough was her for this other person. Uh, and later on, uh, or rather early on, she goes on to say, an older version of me, is she perverted like me? Blah, blah, blah. So uh, possibly even that other woman may have already been in the man's life. Maybe Alanis was the side piece. Maybe it wasn't Alanis who got cheated on. Maybe it was that other woman who got cheated on. So are you suggesting then that part of the commentary in this song is not from Alanis's point of being the victim, but rather that Alanis is also speaking for the other woman in this, let's say, three-part relationship. Possibly. I think beyond that, all she's saying is that the man is a scumbag and cheated on both of them, lied to both of them. But really, I think Alanis is only speaking for her own experience and her own feelings yeah right but also just aware that this other woman was also possibly betrayed in this whole thing if i can then speak to possibly the solitude that we experience the way that we are sometimes isolated when we're experiencing those most adverse mental health moments. And in the song when Alana sings, and I'm here to remind you of the mess you left when you went away, it's not fair to deny me of the cross that I bear that you gave to me and you ought to know. There's so much within that paragraph to unpack. Firstly, I, I, I think the mess is her and she would not deny that the mess is her and she's bearing this cross which is a reference to the crucifixion and how she is dying or at least feeling like she's dying on behalf of someone else's sins and there's also a lot of commentary here around how she doesn't feel like she has a voice because she's been afflicted by something and she feels like that the other person in the relationship, water, no. I think rather than a reference to Jesus, it's 
more of reference to the Scarlet Letter. She's the bad woman because she was not the wife. She was the, the mistress. And of course, religion, society uh, will blame the mistress and not the man for being uh, unfaithful. So she's left with this scarlet letter. She's left with this burden of being the mistress and being rejected and not having the love or the man or, or the relationship that she wanted. And so it's not fair for him to deny her this relationship, this love. But is she not also being denied the voice she's been denied the capacity to be outspoken against the denial Uh, of the relationship yes 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 absolutely absolutely and this is why she needs to scream it now this is why the song she needs to yell it out she needs to get it out This spoke to me so much. I, I became an Alanis Morissette fan later. I, I would say probably late teens, early 20s. So that would be, you know. Uh, um, A few years ago. Just, just last week only. <laughs> I was 19 still. And I, I was quite an angry teenager. And so this. I can't this... imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> And this amazing uh, woman singing angrily her emotions. I loved it. it. It spoke to me and I wanted to scream out my anger as well. And so this song gave me that opportunity. Um, I had not been cheated on by then, uh, but I, this kind of anger you've, you've felt from anyone who's wronged you. It doesn't matter, you know. It doesn't have to be love. It can be in friendship, family, at work, at school, at any situation. And then you just want to scream at your anger. It's important to let it out. And it's quite therapeutic. It's quite cathartic to yell out your emotions and your anger. And, and this song was perfect uh, for that. It, it just made you feel so much better after. Another part of the song in which I'm interested is the verse where she says, I'm not quite as well. I thought you should know. Did you forget about me, Mr. Duplicity? And so this is duplicity as dishonesty. We get a sense that Alanis has taken this guy on his word and his word has not been true. And she's upset about that. We've all been in this situation where... We have trusted someone, what they have said, and uh, and then we feel slighted when the verbal contract has not held. So we feel like we have no recourse for just establishing that we're not crazy for believing a certain thing rather than another. And so we're left in this situation where we wonder whether we have misinterpreted whether we've overinterpreted, whether we have created or constructed our own reality, which is distinct or it's separate from the objective reality that everyone else lives in, ignoring the fact that 
everyone else is living their own constructed or distinct or created reality. Yes, well. And so is this nevertheless part of the appeal of this song is that it's all about how perspectival and how biased we all are and how we look at these kinds of moments in burgeoning relationships as being binding even though they are not and that's no one's fault it's interesting yeah i i like that you bring this up because i never delved into this self-doubt revisiting what was done and said from this song i always only focused on the letting it out, screaming it out, letting the anger out. But you're absolutely right. And and if we go back to an earlier verse, she says, does she know how you told me you'd hold me until you died? Well, you're still alive. So so it's this, it's the, it's exactly what you're saying is, did I misconstrue those words or the, did I imagine those feelings? But then maybe I didn't because you did say, you know, you did make promises and now you're with this other woman. I do remember when this song first hit the radio airwaves and it sounded quite desperate. So at the time I was very late teens and I found this song to be quite lame as a result. Like I found, I, I found this desperation to be quite lame. But I think in the ensuing years, I recognized that it was its vulnerability was really consistent with a lot of music that I love. And then even though I wasn't, necessarily backtracking through a lot of Alanis's previous works, I recognized that this song and this album was not inconsistent with a lot of music that I liked and for the same reasons. Yeah, and and as a young woman, for me, there weren't mainstream artists, female mainstream artists, with that kind of anger and that kind of message. And it was brand new, it was refreshing, and I think it resonated with a lot of women, young and old, uh, uh, who had been wanting to scream out their anger um, about everything. Not Again, not just about relationship. And Alanis, um, <coughs> as you said so eloquently, uh, uh, oh, so being eloquently. on the airwaves, <laughs> um, on mainstream radio, and... MTV and and just and not being shunned for being overly reactive no. woman. It, it was in, you know celebrated that music was celebrated and it was incredibly refreshing. around that time and I was listening to a lot of music which had female singers, singer-songwriters and so Bikini Kill, Hole, L7, Babes in Toyland, all of these very strong female front people for bands and they would be singing about issues which were affecting them day to day and it was never a sense of these vulnerable women. It was more, okay, so they're discussing day-to-day issues affecting them in an abstract way, in the same way that men were. And quite often you would see that, whether it was Kurt Cobain or Eddie Vedder or Chris Cornell, their characterizations of the day-to-day was being portrayed as being quite abstract and clever and genius. Whereas the female impression of it was being portrayed as very straightforward and manic and desperate. Hysterical. Yeah. All of these things. Yeah. And and all these bands and women that you just mentioned, 
never quite made it to mainstream. We're always underground and more power to them because they, as a result, they probably never had to compromise on the quality uh, of their music and their lyrics. And I think you, you mentioned Hole in Hole to become mainstream had to tone it down several notches and what took her to mainstream radio and uh, her, her being a whole band <laughs> maybe we'll edit that out <laughs> <laughs> but it's important not to characterize whole as a as, a as, as yeah. courtney love yeah. no that's yeah. right you're right you're right whole being a whole band i i understand what you're saying now sorry absolutely whole as a band and not just as courtney love but yeah, they had to tone it down several notches and, and get that clean music production, you know, to make it sound nice and poppy. <coughs> and when I say poppy, I mean as in pop. No, well, they did become uh, pop. Because otherwise she was not going to make it mainstream. And, and so Alanis making it mainstream, because it's a very male-dominated, in, they are very male-dominated industries, these men producers and, and men studio executives and <coughs> men whatever hear this and probably see themselves a little too much in, <laughs> in those songs and, and are like, no, we're not going to give a voice to this hysterical, angry woman. So that's how even more surprising it is that this came out, that this made it to mainstream radio stations, music, TV channels, and, and really struck a chord with generations of women. There was a slap in the face, how quickly I was replaced, and I had thinking of me when you... And so in terms of mental health, what does this give a voice to? It's it's a voice if you feel marginalized. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a voice to if you feel unheard. Mm. There's a lot of lyrics in the song which suggest I'm worthy of having this kind of voice and you need to hear this and it would be just if you would hear how I feel. Um, yes. And in, I mean, this came out in 1995, which nearly 30 years ago now. But in today's parlance, people are being ghosted all the time and people are not giving the opportunity to tell the other party how they feel, how they hurt. Yeah, I like to think that this song is a contestation to narcissism. For the narcissist who doesn't have to ever acknowledge the way in which they can abuse their structural position. And Alanis is representative of the person who is fighting for representation, a voice. Yeah, and when it comes out that strongly, you can suspect that there's a lot that's been building up for a long time. It's not just this one single event. There's a lot of anger that's been building up where she felt wronged, where she felt unheard, disrespected. And so, and, and this is all coming out in that one song. Yeah, I, I remember when this song came out and I was into a lot more abstract pop songs like Nirvana, like Sonic Youth, and I wasn't as into Alanis. But this song has had such a... A resonance beyond its era. I think Alana has tapped into something which is much more communicable and therefore much more universal regarding the human condition. Certainly, there's no ambiguity, uh, whether in terms of the lyric or, or the tone or, or the melody here. There is no ambiguity whatsoever. She is angry and she wants people to know. And she wants this guy to know. It's 